sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and joining me on this wonderful day is Dan. Dan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great, thank you. It's nice and sunny, which is uh, unusual for Britain. It's always dark in the studio slash shed where I am. So yeah, but no, it's very warm and hot outside as well. So it's only going to get hotter as the recording goes on. We're going to cover a lot of ground on this one uh, and we'll try and do it relatively concisely. So we're going to go for a pod that's not hours long here and try and cover off the main topics because it's been a bit of a crazy week. Um, I've not managed to catch up on everything yet because life and things I've caught most of it, and I did manage to watch a few of the the interviews and shows I'm going to talk about in full. Dan's caught the other stuff as well, so we're going to cover as much as we can. Uh, Dan, Corbell Knapp, obviously, was one big talking point with the, the hyped leak, and we'll discuss that. Then we had Richard Dolan, who, on his show that I managed to watch in full for one of the first times ever, uh, had a leak during the show, which we'll discuss. We then had the TMZ show, and last night we've had the Discovery Unclassified show as well. On top of that, I managed to catch Lou's interview, Lou Elizondo, with Terry Virks, a former astronaut, that I thought there was quite a lot of interest in use of language and some, some nuggets in there that either I hadn't heard before or he's expanded on top of. So I think that's well worth going through. I posted the Terry Virks interview on my Patreon, you know, just just to say people should check this out with a couple of timestamps on it. Um, so yeah, some really interesting bits. I think the best place to start is probably the Nap Corbell stuff. So, uh, red alert! Jeremy Corbell stuck a video online, didn't he? Just to, I think he's enjoying this now. To be honest, to to hype ever so slightly. I'm going to not try to use the word hype too much. The the drop. Now we'd mentioned this before the task force report that once the report came out, he was going to drop something. We knew he was involved with the TMZ show, which was airing on the Tuesday night. Um, there are some rumours and some talk that Jeremy thought the it may be a case the report would have come out on the Monday, the day before the TMZ show, and that's why he he left it so late to drop what he did. But either way, he put out a small teaser saying, you know, red alert, having a bit of fun. And everyone waited on this this drop. A video came out uh, again, so it's from the Omaha USS Omaha, um, where again, as many as fourteen objects were observed. We previously had the flare footage, we had the radar swarm data, and this is from again July twenty nineteen. Just to recap, because we've had a lot recently, we've been spoiled by that. Okay, Dan, the video itself, it's not spectacular on its own, is it? Really, let's be fair. It's, it's really not. Um, and I remember we, we spoke about this before when we had the radar video um, and everyone was saying, oh, you know, I wish I could have seen outside the ship in that moment. And, and we literally said, if they pointed that camera out the door, all we would see is distant lights that just we can't discern. You know, it's it's to be looked at as part of a bigger narrative. 
Um, and if all these pieces had come together with a chain of custody, then we would have been able to look at it in a broader way. But I feel like it's kind of been stretched out a bit. And, and this is kind of a, you know, you kind of usually build up to your, your biggest thing. And this, this was less stellar than the other ones, you know? Yeah, and that's I've got that down in my first and main note is that um on the mystery wire interview, which I like they do those after any drops. Um yeah. people should check those out. Honestly, even if you're overwhelmed, underwhelmed, whatever, with the footage that comes out, go and watch the interview between Nap and Corbell because the context really does help. They do admit themselves the video isn't spectacular. I think you have to get at this point we we can see Jeremy Corbell's personality and his character and he is having a bit of fun and enjoying this as well which that that's fine he has that right to do that it's it's he's the one doing a lot of work behind the scenes to get this stuff along with George Knapp um, also but, anything in this subject it's fine to have fun with right like we're only human that's cool if you're enjoying it enjoy it I mean, you say we're only human, we could talk about that. No, um, but you're right. <laughs> uh, we absolutely have to give him, you know, he's doing the work and that's up to him. And people like it, people don't like it. People like him, people don't like him. That's fine. I am sure there are people who don't listen to this because they hate my accent or the sound of my voice or you. You know, I get a lot of hate mail for Dan. I don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but you're totally right. They, they admit themselves that the video itself isn't spectacular. The video is just lights in the night sky. That is it. Um, like you said, it's got to be the combination of all that stuff. If it had all come out in one, that we had, here's the radar footage, here's the, the flare, here's the infrared, here is the the scope pointing up at the sky, or you know the camera pointing up at the sky, that would have been, and in a bit of context, that would have been quite a lot. That would have been a lot from one incident, but it's been so spread out. It's, it's at the point people were ready for something else and something more part of that let's be honest that's us as an audience getting a little bit greedy with what we're getting and frustrated and used to okay what's next do you know what see see 10 15 20 years ago with something like this coming out if nothing came out for five to ten years after that would have been the norm again i've said before we're at the point where stuff's happening on a kind of bi-weekly or weekly or monthly basis and it's it's great for us keeping up with this and recapping it and talking about it but it's it's getting people's expectations a little bit up and down. Jeremy Corbell for this one, for me, sh- not that he had to undersell it, but he should have put the context out already that we've got something to add to the Omaha case. It's just something like that, a caveat, just to temper expectations, but he's played on the hype, and, and that's that's he has, regardless of what he, he thinks or says or whatever. He's played on the hype, and he's, he's got people more excited than he had to. It was just an extra kind of bit of icing, a bit of cherry on top of the cake. That's another topping on the pizza, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. A- any more on that one for you, Dan? Um, just just to touch on the the TMZ thing, it was um, basically the crown jewel of that that whole TMZ documentary was the footage that Jeremy released. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as a few people expected would be the case because his release was coming so close to that, and we saw that he featured in it from the trailers. Um, so whilst it's not for us, I don't think, um, it's, it's interesting to kind of see how the world is digesting it in different ways, right? Whether it's through humor or whether it's through, you know, shocking TMZ investigates kind of hour long features or three hour discovery plus shows. It's, uh, it's fun a little, I gotta say. (laughs) 
it is, and you're right that the TMZ piece, uh, as with a lot of the mainstream stuff that's going to come out, isn't being made for us. I don't think there's going to be much comes out in the form of a documentary that's pre-prepared that is going to blow us away. That I, I just don't see that because that, that'd be nice, right? Like a nice little animated meet the others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's hyped three months in advance with a trailer, right? <laughs> we're, we're, that's not that kind of stuff's not going to happen. Maybe from a James Fox with the the Virginia um, documentary that's going to be coming out. You know, we'll, we'll be talking about that with him next week, but it's we're not going to get it's like i said with skinwalker ranch skinwalker ranch being filmed in advance releasing content yeah there's some good stuff and there's been some better stuff in the recent episodes from what i hear i'm a bit behind on it i have i was gonna say have you seen the latest episode because for me it was the the moment of the show so far i've heard and i've seen a a small bit but we'll we'll get to that another time okay and we will get to the skinwalker ranch stuff folks it's just been really really busy but for me the tmz stuff is made for that audience that doesn't already know so people just have to be a little less precious on oh well i'm disappointed do you know why you're disappointed it's a good thing because you've seen this you're up to date you know enough it's now your job to either sit back and just keep taking in what comes new or help people new to the conversation along with this kind of stuff Dan, I want to ask you though, like you said, the TMZ piece very much focused on that footage. Right, so see the footage. One option is UAP. The other is is foreign drones, okay? We've gone from unidentified to it must be a drone then, okay? If it's not UAP. Why are foreign drones buzzing the US Navy or whatever with their lights on? What What is the purpose of a foreign drone having lights on? Well, the way, as I understand it, the way these systems on these ships work, when they target these kind of drones, if they are drones, to kind of get a read on them and get their signature, that gives away tells in terms of America's methodology and systems that they have in place. They can also see how the actual people on the ships react and they can start learning, you know, this is the, this is the, um, the drill for this situation so it would make the foreign adversaries uh better prepared for for you know an interaction and i think with something like that this is what the drive was talking about when they talk about drones is that there because of the stigma there is a blind spot to weird stuff and it's a little bit dare i say genius to find a kind of a cheap niche way to get close to these ships and still have no one talk about them. You know, that's that's kind of a dream if you want to mop up intelligence. So, you know, you throw a drone in that looks weird, it gives an often weird IR flare, everyone points all their sensors to it, and you get to see them react, and you get to write down protocol. It, it will be a really, really interesting method. So that makes sense as well, because again, if I'm if I'm on that navy ship, so I get you've you've talked about the foreign adversary point of view, why they would send that sort of weird looking drone out. But the same i'm on that navy ship i'm thinking how much do i want to give away do i want to engage with this because if it is china or russia what do we hit it with do we well, show them absolutely. how quick yeah so it's, it's that it's but we kinda... have guidelines now right like we've seen that the navy put out guidelines so i would expect those guidelines to take into account let's give them as little data as possible whilst also you know filming them on our mobile phones and filming the radar screens and everything like that 
and again, we're talking about that piece of footage as if that is just what we had. But what we had was the data showing there was a lot of these things, that there were various different speeds potentially they were going at as well. They were performing with some incredible capabilities. And don't forget, we've got one of them potentially going under the water and disappearing as well. So a lot to take in there, a lot of weight to it. Do you know what? It's probably not the last we've heard of that incident either. Let's no, be fair. I don't think so. To sum up on that one, disappointed with the the small piece of hyping don't think it was necessary but it was nice to add to that folder for that incident and i i would look forward to hopefully seeing some really credible uh witness testimony coming out to add to that as well again yeah, we don't need a week's worth or a couple of days worth of hype for that just that we're going to add something to this event that tempers people's expectations right off the bat fair yeah, enough I'd, I'd agree i i feel the same about it as i do about black widow you know, I want to see it, but it probably should have come a little while back with the other stuff. <laughs> more than more than likely, yeah. And nice you get the Marvel reference in there. Drop a pound in the jar. Um, <laughs> so George Knapp finishes uh, on the Mystery Wire piece with a comment about the leak being from us to them. And I'm taking away from that, he means that it's not the Pentagon or Department of Defense leaking stuff to Knapp and Corbell. What he's saying is they're getting it from sources and they're actually leaking it to the Pentagon and the task force that way around, that they're they're not seeing this stuff that's being leaked. And it's, it's almost as much as a surprise to them, isn't it? Yeah, because the I found some documentation about uh, the Viper teams and how they operate and the Snoopy teams. I posted it on my Twitter uh, at the Zygma if anyone wants to see. <clears throat> but on that sheet, it basically says that all of these teams have to submit their footage to the Maritime Operations uh, Center within 40 minutes of these events happening. And all this footage is taken with public consumption in mind. So with with that process in mind, the the system that could be broken is between that maritime operations center that, you know, wants to kind of give this stuff out for public consumption and a Pentagon contact and department that really doesn't want to engage and doesn't want people talking about this much. You know, we 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 know that from their shifting stances with Lou Elizondo and ATIP. They they would prefer this be kept quiet but you know as I, as I said before everyone's covered in ketchup now it's too late everyone is smeared with ketchup <laughs> <laughs> i like that analogy when you used it so listen up next up uh, we'll move on from that one richard dolan uh, put out a podcast on his youtube channel um where he covered the task force and interestingly what drew my attention to it was there was a a bit of a leak that he announced during the show which he he didn't talk about too much on the pod but we'll, we'll cover it. Um, but first off, he was talking about the UAP report itself. Now, Richard Dolan, I don't think it's unfair, as someone who, as respected as he is by many, comes at this conversation still with a little bit of his own narrative to, to spin. And I think his mind is quite made up on what this is and that there is a conspiracy and a cover-up. And whatever comes out, it fits into that. Like I've said before, for what it's worth for anyone who does listen to this and enjoy me talking about this or you dan i think our opinions are still fairly fluid and that if something comes out that goes really against what we think we're happy to to take that on board discuss it debate it and work out do you know what do i have to kind of change my approach or opinion on this a little bit and and i've done that over the last couple of years which i think is only fair i think yeah. richard dolan seems probably much more hard-lined and no no this is what i've said this is what i think this is what i've put in books and here's how it fits into my narrative. Um, is that is that a fair comment? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a wide spectrum of, of you know approaches to it, and and I think Richard is certainly towards the more balanced side. Um, so I I just don't want people to think that he would repeat anything he's told. But this presentation, it's definitely worth mentioning that he got this information from a source he said that he has a relationship with and trusts. Um, but he got it only an hour before he was due to do the presentation. So there's yeah. not really a lot of vetting that could have been done in that time. So it's just worth taking this with a kind of um, pool of salt. What did you think of the leak itself? Now, to, for, uh, at a glance, what he got was a list of topics that were discussed within the classified portion of the UAP. UAP task force report and it was very much based around DARPA and types of energy or propulsion systems that that were discussed which is why those would not have been fit for public consumption so let's just go with this is this is what was said whether it's true or not and Richard Dolan like you say gave a source and he was quite happy with this well what he said was it was relayed to his source from another source so sort of third hand but again no reason to doubt the information you're, you're taking it at face value yeah yeah i'd agree you know a source of another source could be my milkman's brother but we we don't know you know we i i generally trust and will listen to what richard has to say whether i agree with it or not you know he he's not one of these guys that i avoid listening to he's fairly balanced what about the content of the leak itself now, within that, we saw there were various different energy systems, wasn't there, um, that were talked about, discussed. It was almost a bit of a slide nine uh, yeah. type scenario, where, which is actually what I thought it was at first. When I, when I first saw the PowerPoint presentation almost of it, I was like, oh, slide nine was in there, but it wasn't. It talks about a couple of different forms of propulsion, some of which I'd heard of, some of which I haven't. Uh, it mentions anti-gravity. It mentions exotic materials. And it says, I believe in brackets, one of them is ET related. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, was it non-human? Uh, I, I can't remember the wording. Um, I'm pretty sure ET was there, uh, if not both, um, within the body of it. But again, it, it's pretty pretty interesting stuff. Just on a quick check there, uh, number seven, advanced use of exotic elements for energy research, brackets, ET-related items. So th there is some language in there. Uh, also number eight, the Kaesong Energy Propulsion System Research Project. Nothing I'd heard about. Rich Dolan said himself on the pod, nothing he had heard about. What, what are you kind of thinking on this one, Dan? Is there anything that stands out to you as relatively interesting on there? You know, uh, it's funny it's come up because... A few weeks back, I was I was literally just going through documentaries about like different forms of advanced propulsion on on YouTube and kind of looking at different books and stuff like that. And I'm not sure if it's the same name, but I read about uh, someone uh, who I mean, it sounds like a similar name, but basically they they kind of had this uh, energy propulsion research and they just kind of disappeared. Um, I haven't really spoken about it much because I I haven't looked into it um but it could be related but if it is i will i will share more i'm, I'm gonna spend a bit of time looking at it this week because that would be very that, interesting no that'd be awesome the main thing here is you've got eight bullet points okay uh, and the takeaway from it is in that summary which i'll read out to you 
all these highly classified projects are under the control of the Defence Advanced Research Project Agency, DARPA, and being managed by a classified group called Advanced Group 6. Now, that was that was something new. Advanced Group 6 is something maybe we'll hear more about going forward. I'm sure people like Lou Elizondo and others will be asked about it in interviews. All funding for these projects is black confidential funds appropriated under intelligence operations costs. Some funds come from private contractors. This next bit is, I think, the main reason it would be in the classified report. If we're taking upon face value, this is legit. Prototypes of flying crafts utilising the above technology are being flown at Area 51 and Tonopah Air Force Base uh, test range. Some of the UAPs observed in and around Nevada can be contributed to crafts using the above propulsion systems. However, None of the experimental crafts have flown outside the Nellis test and training range. None of these experimental crafts can be contributed to the sightings photographed by the Navy. So if that's true, what we've got in the uh, classified section is, look, there are obviously, as we know, secret US government programs testing secret tech, forgetting even the AT stuff or how advanced these are. What they're saying is, yeah, we're testing it, but we aren't testing it out there. It's being tested in one location and one location only. So what's being seen in videos and photographs and testimony is not the US government. Is That's essentially what we're getting there, isn't it, Dan? Absolutely. And a statement like that, or a report like that, sorry, raises so many questions about the history of this phenomena and the research that people have been suspecting is going on for years into anti-gravity and ion drives and warp drives and all these other things. So yet again, we get a little tease of information and a billion more questions. Yeah. Um, and Rich Dolan gave his thoughts on the report itself. Um, talks through his own his own opinions and whatnot as well, which was, was relatively interesting. My, my takeaway from what Rich Dolan's thoughts were, though, is, and I've brought this up a few times, and I think there's legroom for this to come up still, is there's a sticky area between who they are in terms of the cover-up as in the past, who's keeping the secrets and who's leading this now? And we've talked about this, and I'm seeing still a lot of it on on Twitter and social media forums, and and people very much like the government know, and it's like the government are a lot of people. Who is the government, and is it the secret people in charge? Is it a small cabal within the government? Is it yeah. a, a very small group or room of generals that sit and go, well, actually, yeah, we know this is ET, UT, CT, any other and or of the above. But who are we talking about with they? I honestly, at this point, fluid opinion, I honestly, at this point, don't think the people who put this together for the task force are in the know. I think they are piecing this together like they've been asked to do. Um, but they probably or may know more than more than most. But again, do they know more than a Louise Elizondo, Chris Mellon? Do they know more than some of the higher ranking military? Well, we don't know. It's worth touching on that, actually. Um, Ross Coltard has done some great interviews over the past week, one with Special Access Project and one with Project Unity, and he's got a book coming out soon called In Plain Sight. And, and it's, um, I think we, at that point we should mention Ross will be on the podcast to talk about his book uh, In Plain Sight later, yeah, on in, sure. uh, later on in a month. Yeah, Very excited. You know, he's, he's come out swinging, and I highly recommend people go listen to both of those. But um, he, he was talking about how people should really appreciate the level that Lou Alexander was working at. Um, Lou was a guy who had oversight um, and a connection with the uh, SAB oversight committee. These are the people who would have the tickets and the secrets to know all of these different black programs. So 
if Richard Dolan's leak is true, then all of that would be fairly common knowledge to to someone like Lou. So I, I don't mean to say definitely, but I just mean to say people really need to appreciate the level Lou is working at and listen to every word he has to say, because he's always given us breadcrumbs, you know? And as we've seen, this report coming out, we were told well in advance, you know, no hype, but told in advance that it was going to be a bit hamstrung. We had a change of leadership within it. We had a change of, you know, the, the US government changed in a dramatic way with outgoing President Trump and coming President Biden and all that entailed. So there was a whole lot went on around this report. Uh, and also that this group were doing essentially what ATIP were doing and what OSAP were doing and what people before that were doing. And you've even got to think at the bureaucratic level, it wasn't a case of Brennan McKenna and his colleagues who worked on this sent out emails and said, okay, we want everything you've got, and they trolled through it. There was no doubt a lot of red tape involved in this as well, where they went to one group, no doubt, let's just say the CIA, and they requested this, and it was, okay, we'll get that to you, and a couple of weeks passed and nothing, and then again, following that back up, we're still looking for X, Y, and Z. Okay, we'll send that over. What they get is X and Z. Okay, we're still missing why. Ah, oh, we can't get why at the minute. And that would just be one very small part of putting this together. So you, you probably have to appreciate how difficult it was in the 180 days for that group to put together what they managed to put together. Yes, people are frustrated. We never saw the classified section. We don't see the classified section of pretty much anything. And the declassified section, like I've said before, wasn't for the public. It was fit for public consumption. Um we're going to get, as as Danny Silva um, put out on his Twitter feed and within an article as well, check that out at silverrecord.com, that we will get a, a follow-up within about 90 days the of the report. Congress will get a follow-up. They, there was yes. no terms I've, on whether I've we will get it. I just went back on my own self, haven't they, saying that the public <laughs> will cool. get it, okay? I know what you mean. It's just a no, term phrase, isn't it? We as a general phrase. But, but, but you're right. Yeah. You're right, though. We, Congress we might will not get a follow-up. see it, but it's good to know that you know somewhere there's an internal countdown to a follow-up report within 90 days like that's i mean i'm I'm happy with that it's progressing nicely the the baby steps can be a little frustrating at times for people i i appreciate but we're progressing nicely there and at some point all this history is going to come flooding into this conversation um and places like UFO Twitter and people like Danny Silver, they they stand to help kind of guide people to the right information. Two things. Two things I want to bring up. Okay, the first one is the New York Times is very quiet at the minute. I expect something to come out from them on this. A bit of an exclusive at some point. Don't know what that'll contain, but I I just expect that. Don't know about you, Dan. I, I would hope to hear something from them, but... I'm encouraged that that's not necessarily where I'm looking now. Um, my eyes are on the BBC. Um, it's kind of spilled out and over into these different areas. It was discussed in the House of Lords yesterday. So whether that was a phenomenal conversation or not, hint, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> Baron Asko yeah. kind of gave boilerplate answers that we've seen in last. It was almost like she was reading an email that she sent me. You know, She just kept looking down and reading. We don't deem them a threat. To me, that suggests they know something and they've investigated and they're lying to our faces again. And, um, and for listeners it, outside of the, the UK, your your House of Commons is very much our, oh, yeah. our 
Congress, our Senate, where the politicians yeah. sit. And generally, before COVID, what you would find is that for really important issues and matters, um, it's voluntary whether they turn up or not. They usually don't. And or they are sitting falling asleep. There's lots of really interesting videos online of them debating really important issues, you know, education and, and health and sitting sleeping basically but getting paid for it um or you tend to find it's absolutely rammed to the point they are spilling out the doors when it comes to pay rises for themselves so that tends to be the juxtaposition of of when and how they debate uh it's definitely not as as as, i'll use the word sexy or as as glamorous as what you see in u.s news and politics and yeah that brings me on to my second point, though, and you can go back on that if you want, Dan, but I think it was Chris from UAP Media UK had mentioned he's hopeful that the leaks are potentially going to come from the classified report, not from a New York Times or you know people within government in that sense, but the politicians who are being briefed on this, because some of these, these guys and girls can't hold their water when it comes to spilling the beans on this kind of stuff and that's probably a really good place that we are going to start getting little bits and pieces of information coming out how credible and eloquent that information is we don't know but how often now do we have news organizations fox cnn even going right down to tmz's stopping senators and congressmen and women on the stairs of buildings basically asking look what about ufos and we're just hoping one of them gives a nod or a wink or a smile or says something that they aren't trained to not say. Some of the interviews we troll through and watch some really well-spoken people, we're always looking for them to mess up or say something they shouldn't, and they don't because they're trained to not do that. They're highly skilled in what they say and how they say it. Congressmen and women aren't. They're good speakers, but they have a penchant for for trying to say something just a little bit, just to give that that bit of ego of, do you know what, I know a little bit more. And that's what I'm hoping, and Chris is right, that that's probably a good place that we're going to get something else from. That's uh, that's very true. And don't forget as well, in the background of all this, we've got the IG investigations going on uh, into how the DOD have handled this whole thing. So maybe they won't be happy with this preliminary report either when they start finding about all the stuff that maybe has been deleted or at least has been squirreled away, you know, Lou Elizondo's communications and stuff like that. There's, there's going to be a lot coming from a different angle with this as well. It's almost like a, a pincer movement with a, a, an octopus, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it, listen, it doesn't seem to be going away, and I'll I'll use Richard Dolan's own, own line here just to wrap up this before we move on to the loo section. Uh, too much toothpaste is now out of the tube. So we're, we're hoping that they're going to scramble and try and put some of that back in, and it's not going to work. Any more thoughts, Dan, before we move on to Luis Elizondo's latest interview? No, uh, let's, let's jump in. Yeah, so, so this one surprised me, and again, just I've said before, and if you're listening to this, thank you, because of the support we're getting through Patreon, Apple Podcast subscriptions, just you listening to this on a free feed and listening to the adverts and stuff, it does give me the opportunity to free up some more time uh, and watch this stuff and research, and it makes a massive difference to myself and, and Dan as well, so thank you. Um, I managed to watch in full on one morning the Mystery Wire stuff, the Lou Elizondo stuff, and the Corbell Knapp stuff, and um, Richard Dolan as well, sorry. So this was a really good interview, and I I kind of stopped watching a lot of those interviews in full because everyone wanted to speak to him and everyone sort of asked him the same questions for the most part, okay? I really think there's probably four or five interviews with Lou Elizondo over the last year, you know, that you could watch and get everything you need. 
because there's so much just they just just want to speak to Lou and it's just speaking to Lou for Lou's sake, okay? Which is why we've not had Lou back on the podcast since February. I could have Lou on every day. Not I could, I don't have that access, but I would love to speak to him every day. But you, you get to a point, you run out of really good things to ask him and it's better to wait until the time is right. I think Terry Virt's interview with Lou was well-timed and I think he came at it from a point of view of he's a former astronaut. He had Lou's utmost respect from the start as well, given he's, the He's service. always an astronaut. Once an astronaut, he, yeah, always an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's true. Once you've been up there, you, you know, that's it. But it was a great conversation and I think Lou himself seemed to have a really good time in this one too. Um, I've got some timestamps here, okay? 25 minutes in, if you jump to that point in it, there's a story about missile recovery um, off of Puerto Rico. And they talk about the the missiles basically were being tested, I believe, and they were basically being sucked down into the ocean. What happens is they fire it, it explodes, sometimes underwater, and then they go and recover the the missile to do some test and analysis. Okay, that bit's not really important for us. We we don't care about that. However, with the the frogmen who go down to retrieve, they basically were going to get the missile and this huge disc shaped object which Lou described as like the size of an island basically started coming up from under the ocean you can imagine the the, the men and women or, or women who were on the line pulling to frantically get up like to get away from this thing uh saw this huge you know ominous object coming up and it basically sucked the missile away sounds, sounds kind of like the abyss right gives yes. me flashes of the abyss um i i think David Fravor has told that story before, but it, I mean, these things probably happen often. So I don't want to say that it's definitely the same story. Um, but it was familiar. It's an occurrence. I, I yeah. And the stories, you know, spread if it is the same. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible to think about that something like that would happen and it's being kept under wraps. And Lou also adds in the context. He tells the story very well, very eloquently, but adds in the context that where this happened, the the trench is about 22,000 feet deep. It's the second deepest part of the ocean as well. So how many times could Lou say that, you know, under the water, under the water, under the water is <laughs> is, is something? Um, we, we should note as well that we, when people talk about why now, why is this happening now? Why are we seeing them now? We always talk about private space industry and stuff like that. Yeah. But in the past five to 10 years, there's been huge advances in our ability to explore underwater. You know, we've gone from James Cameron being the most advanced person, and then other people have come along and followed his kind of pioneering path. And now more people have been to the bottom of the ocean than, than you know, have ever been there before. Um, I read somewhere that it was kind of getting to a point where it was close to how many, you know, people are visiting Everest kind of on, on a yearly basis. Not sure if that's well, true, but it's crazy. You know, it, it just goes to show that we could be on the cusp of discovering something down there. And that's why we're seeing them. It's not necessarily all about space. Do you know, I can lay claim to being on one of the world's only commercial submarines, uh, which cool. is in Lanzarote. It only goes about 10 feet under the water and it's it's, it's a very short distance you travel, but it, it was pretty cool, yeah. Um, that was far hey, enough it's for enough. me. You may have been in their world. Potentially, yes, or we may be in theirs. Um, 30 minutes in, something that's actually caught my attention because I was watching it and making notes and doing something else as well. And the podcast takes up a lot of times, and Dan knows I'm not the most skilled and I'm all over the place with stuff. And I actually stopped what I was doing as I heard and I went back to it because Terry Virks mentioned craft, and Lou just went into this thing that talking about the, the size of the craft that they see and the correlation as to. And I was like, what? And he mentioned, okay, imagine a saucer is a bit like a Corvette 
a Corvette's made for two people. It's sporty, it's small, and it's designed for X, Y, and Z. Then you get these slightly bigger objects that are more cylindrical, maybe the Tic Tacs, where they're the size of a school bus and they're made for carrying a few more people. Then he goes on to talk about triangles. And triangles, I don't think we hear too often about the size of them. I think people just assume that they're very. But he mentions they're generally much bigger. As we know, sometimes the size of city blocks. Um, we've heard like football fields before, that kind of stuff. But he talks about, again, that they all have their own purpose and the size of the craft is more than likely directly related to what the, the mission or objective is for the craft. He then also mentions, which I thought was really interesting, the boomerang-shaped craft. And he mentions Phoenix Lights incident and basically talks about, you know, boomerang, V-shape, that they are huge, the, the size of a city. And again, what would the purpose be for those? Would they house a lot of people at once and... I thought that was really interesting. While Lewis still frames it as speculation, it's quite a wild thing to speculate on, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and for all with kind of ears to hear, it's it's alluding to this other category being something far more than than the skeptics ever believed it could be. You know, when when we're kind of talking about nuts and bolts craft. Um, once we start getting into these kind of subtle details about how big these things are, what they could be here for, their intent, the conversation starts to get really eye-opening, you know? Like the, the, the scale on which this is going to change the world really becomes apparent. Um, 45 minutes in, Lou gets asked about the Tic Tac event being recorded. He does the famous Lou Elizondo pause. Hmm. Very carefully, he says there is video evidence of the Tic Tac. Now, I don't think he was referring to the the stuff that's already out there. It seemed to me, I just got the idea that when we hear about Fravor seeing the Tic Tac pretty close, that something on board has captured that event. I, I don't know if you got that as well, Dan, if I'm just jumping in too far. Um. I don't know, because technically we could be referring to the video we've seen, right? But we, we've always, always had allusions to a longer video. Some people agree, some people disagree, but we've always had allusions to a longer video. Not to mention uh, a kind of 3D reconstruction in the battle space that would have been possible with all the sensors and radar that they had and that Hawkeye kind of flying up above, sniffing the EM signatures of the Tic Tac. You know, when, when people say... Um, you know, was the object that showed up at the cap point, how can you prove it was the same object, had the same signature. You know, they they have ways of telling these things. And I feel like a, a video would be cool, don't get me wrong, to kind of see it glitching. But we've seen the results of, of you know, having a, a fuzzy video released online, no matter how much that technology is actually amazing because it allows you to see at crazy distances and at night and stuff like that. Um, but a proper 3D reconstruction of a battle space with all sensors kind of talked about and pointed, it would be insane. You know, we, we'd start to realize that the Tic Tac, sure, it was encountered uh, by Alex and by Fravor and the, the Wizzos, but everyone saw it through those sensors at that moment. So it was almost like it, the, the contact was experienced by the, everyone on those two ships at that moment instead of just those four. It's shattering I, I really would love some data like that i just think it would have been very easy for lou to say the videos out there and that that would have been that point covered off rather than the more solemn 
almost admission that there's there's more. Um, Solemn, uh, Solemn is a good word to use with Lou at the moment, and I, yeah. I would agree with what you've said. Um, on theories of everything, the YouTube channel Lou did a great interview. Uh, Kurt, Kurt, the host, is is very good at kind of working the silence and thoughtfulness into his interviews, and he comes up with some good follow ups. And yeah, when when Lou was asked how he thinks this would change the world and what people's attitudes would be like, he he said, you know, solemn, humbled, somber, it's, and heady. Yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. Like someone like Lou with his level of access saying something like that, this is just going to explode at some point. Yeah. Um, Terry Vertz very quickly says on 49 minutes he he would have thinking from a military point of view uh, he would think these objects is a learning exercise that they're observing Lou says yeah they're not hostile but it's provocative um, and on 54 minutes again he says he almost hopes that it's not human as that would mean we have bigger problems on our hands. So for anyone who does worry or is a bit nervy about Lou, and like Tom DeLong and that I've said in the past as well, that this is something that we have to work on together and go forward. There's there's maybe an element of, are we in some kind of danger? But when Lou's saying that, you know, it's better that it's, and, and this basically, it's almost better that it's not human. So maybe that's, that's a bit of kind of positivity or hope amongst the, the message and the somberness that we've been getting recently. Yeah, that's that's really true. Uh, one, one of the striking things about the House of Lords was they were saying, you know, it's not a threat. It's not a threat. These things are genuine and identified. If you paint a Russian flag or a Chinese flag on the side of one of them, suddenly it's all hands on deck. That doesn't make sense to me. It should be all hands on deck as soon as you see the unidentified thing. Even if it's just a meteor, it could wipe out a village, you know? Yeah. This is why we need to start talking about these things properly and remove the stigma. It's so, so important. I'm going to go back to the water thing in a second, just on the last couple, but uh, 61 minutes, uh, sorry, 57 minutes, Lou talks about when it comes to triangles, what we have seen is they loiter, move slowly, and then bang, they're gone over the horizon. Triangles can move like tic-tacs. They loiter, then they're gone fast, uh, reported as being as large as a city block at times. 61 minutes, Lou talks about all observables possible, um, the five or six or seven, depending on, you know, Lou's mentioned there's a few more. Um, they're all possible at the same time if you can manipulate fabric of space time. And then on 66 minutes, he talks about energy sources, which uh, is obviously something that Terry Virts is quite well versed in, given his, you know, astronaut background. Um, Lou says maybe hydrogen would be used for energy because you would need something in abundance that's all over the place to, to get a lot of. So the water, and he basically says out at sea, are these things there because we are a convenient gas station? Yeah, that's right. And he he spoke a little about how if you had that element kind of in space, you'd maybe kind of see it like a nebula and stuff, but you're essentially trying to catch, you know, sand in a net. It, it, It would just be a lot of work to kind of distill to use, whereas it's pretty abundant on this planet, you know, to the point where we laughed in signs that they got hurt by water when they came here. So, uh, 74 minutes, Lou is asked, have we got one of these things? Lou, somber, uh, says, I've said on the record, it's my belief the US government is in possession, in possession of extremely exotic materials. So Lou is pretty much going with the yes. I know this frustrates people because they go back to, well, why have we got a task force report that is still so vague and ambiguous and everything else? It's It's baby steps that, Lou knows what he knows. That's not for the task force report because Lou is not currently within government. Um, 
and Dan, I'm going to ask you, remind me to ask you a question just after this one, okay, as well. And on 79 minutes, the last point I took away was Lou says the Tic Tacs went back up to 80,000 feet and above um, off radar. So they went back into to orbit. So we're hearing these things coming down from space, hovering about, they go under the water, they come up, they go back up. Dan, where are they going when they go back up? It's a good question. Um, that is a good question. You, you know, answer? They, they could be going to, uh, I mean, we could discuss moon bases. <laughs> we could discuss them going to other planets. We could discuss making themselves look like that's what they're doing. So we don't actually know where they're from. We could discuss the way birds scatter when you run at them. And then they all come back into formation when you leave them alone. Kevin Daly, they these orbit. things may be, you know, being living creatures that are rare. Um, and if you if you look at the way you know a, a big group of pigeons scatter, if you run into them, they always come back into that that formation again. Um, so it was interesting that Kevin Day said that because he got to watch them on radar, right? Scatter when the planes got near, and then come right back. I and mean, maybe, birds don't go to eighty thousand feet, but you you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and do you know what? I always remember when they talked about Virgin Galactic and some of our um, commercial space programs from a few years ago, that the best way to fly, and even commercial flights, would be to go higher up than commercial planes do, basically go into orbit, allow the Earth to move around while you kind of travel in space, and then come back down. And is it just easier for these objects to travel in orbit? They're out the way, less, less tracking for them to worry about, if they worry at all, and then just come down elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. There, there have also been a, a few cases in the past. I say a few. There's only one I can think of where a pilot got near to a UFO and supposedly the plane disappeared. Um, and you got to wonder: is does the kind of energy drive of this system need a really big clear area to be used? And if there's anything in that area, do they get harmed? We already know that people have been harmed going near the UFOs, so it stands to reason that. Yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe if you get too close when they activate their drives, something you get vaporized or something like that because you're half in and out, half out of that space time bubble. Um, kind of kind of like a you know you know a black hole. It would kind of hurt probably. Yeah. Um, and you know yeah. what? You're, you're right. This will sound awful towards humanity and our side of things, right? But if these things are also under the under the guise of it's us or them, if it comes to us being found, spotted, seen, and any danger of being, you know, recorded in, a, in certain circumstances, then you make sure it's us and not them. And that's like you say, if, if a craft has to make a plane disappear, that's what happens. And like maybe that is that threat or hostile nature potentially, but in the same way that if these objects got too close to, you know, nuclear stations and we put things on alert and send soldiers out do they get shot at do they try emp pulses to bring them down we don't know so maybe we've engaged them and at times they engage us so but that's that goes into pure speculation territory um dan i have a question for you just to round off with because we've covered a lot of ground and we've done it well in 45 minutes the i was speaking to someone on a podcast recently and the question came up would you be happy if lou elizondo Whatever he's doing now, he went back into government to lead the UAP task force. I'd be over the moon. Um, when I think it was in January, wasn't it, when we got word that the head of the UAP task force was changed out. Um, I trust Lou. He's, you know, no messing around. The guy's qualified. Everything over the past three years has backed up what he's been saying. Um, I truly believe his heart is in the right place and he is trying to help get this out to the public. 
Um, and I think him leading the UAPTF uh, would would be ideal. I mean, he he was the guy who said on Twitter, "What do people want from this task force report?" And he vouched for the things that people asked for to the right people, supposedly. So, you know, he, he's definitely on our side. But for me, I, I'd like to see him actually go into a a, a non-US entity, um, something outside, something to help kind of talk the public through this and to help navigate this, because he is probably a very knowledgeable and experienced person um, when it comes to the phenomena. So I think he would be well suited to help kind of lead the conversation. Awesome. Dan, thanks for joining me. Just before you leave the podcast, people, don't hit the stop button yet. Yep, don't hit it yet. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I just want to remind people, because it's not always everyone's on social media and hears all this stuff, um, we have the listener call-in show part one and two coming out. Part one's with myself and Graham Rendell taking calls. Part uh, two is myself and Dan going through some of the voicemails as well and discussing those points. Really enjoyed those. There'll be another one within the next couple of weeks when the time's right, and we'll put out in advance for those to get involved. Please do get involved. And we have Shauma, who is a lawyer from China based in Australia, who I just interviewed this morning, and that'll be out in the next kind of four or five days. Early access, ad-free on Patreon and Apple Podcasts, so sign up to those if you want to hear that early. But that was really interesting talk around China, um, their take on UFOs, the culture around UFOs in China as well, and then some uh, speculation on a few different topics. We also discuss a famous incident at one of the Chinese airports that was shut down. And Xiaoma goes into some things that I've not heard of regarding that as well. And Dan, I, I shared some stuff with you earlier, and you hadn't heard some of that either, just to tease very slightly. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to listen to, to what you guys talked about. It was good. And then next week, I should be speaking to James Fox. We had a short phone call the other day. It suited James to move it slightly. So next week, I'll be talking to James Fox. Thank you for all the listener questions that have been sent over. For this one, it has been really busy. So it's very much been Patreon-only questions, given that as part of the Patreon service if you sign up. So thank you for the all the interest, folks. But again, patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. It was a popular one, and we don't do it often, but it's a little something back for those people who, who are able to support the podcast in that sense dan any any final thoughts for for the last week we're almost approaching the one week anniversary of the report and we have covered a lot of stuff today we we really have uh i think the only other thing to mention that we haven't covered is in the discovery plus like three hour special uh yesterday um jim semi van talked about non-human technology and this being likely to be that um Jim Semivan's a, a fairly important person uh, in terms of this subject. He was at TTSA with all of those guys. So it's it's really intriguing to hear him say that. And I'm really hoping that a lot of journalists start kind of following up with these terms to the right people. Awesome. Dan, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. And speak to you all soon. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam, the provocateur. And together we are the Spy Hearts Podcast. Every Tuesday, we decode the best and the worst of spy cinema to decipher if they make the knock list. That's right. The knock list is the need-to-see official classics of the spy genre. The best of the best, so to speak. Nobody does it better. From Born to Bond and Powers to Palmer, you can bet we will cover it. So subscribe now and revel in the audio equivalent of a smooth martini. Just search for SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on all major podcast apps. And let's just hope you find us before we 
find you. 